0: for many more years than I've toured uh, with the Round Table and has been familiar with a lot of the fellows here that uh, belong to the organization. John is a uh, newspaper man, an editorial writer with the uh, <coughs> Capital Times, and has been interested in the Civil War for a long period of time, as you could well discern from their uh, notes. Our newsletter. I think that you will enjoy this evening's talk by John because I think this is one of the first times we've had John talk to us, uh, come to think of it. And I know many of you enjoyed him on the tours he, uh, and his knowledge of the Civil War as a whole, but specifically the, the Haskell papers on Gettysburg. John Hunter.
1: Thank you, Dan. I uh, actually, this is the second time I've been down here. Uh, In uh, 1960, I was a member of a panel. Uh, We were going down to uh, do Manassas in uh, that part of the country. And I was on a panel. My job there was to describe the uh, the second Manassas, uh, August 28th Broner's farm. And let me tell you a little incident about that. Uh, I, I'm not a military historian, and so in order to brush up on uh, on uh, my background on, on Second Manassas, uh, I had to do uh, my was uh, my assignment was to delineate Pope's failures at Second Manassas. So I got one of these paperback Scribners series. Uh, Uh, and stuck it in my hip pocket, and I was out on the campaign trail with John Kennedy, who was running in Wisconsin's primary, that presidential primary, that spring. And uh, every time I'd come to a hotel room or something, I'd sit down and go over this thing, or when we're on the campaign trail, I'd read a few minutes, and we were sitting in a lunch counter in a little town in southwestern Wisconsin, Darlington, And I had this book out, and John Kennedy was speaking upstairs, and I was listening downstairs on a loudspeaker. He got through, and he came down, and he sat down beside me, and he says, what are you reading, John? Uh, This is about the time, uh, one of the things that Jack Kennedy wanted all the world to know, that he wasn't going to put Catholics in the White House and everything else. And this is before he'd made his Texas speech, where he told everybody that the Pope wasn't going to run everything. So he looked down at this paperback book right beside me, and the, the title of the book, as you know, is The Army Under Pope. <laughs> he said, Would you mind putting that damn thing away for a while?
2: <laughs>
1: well, well, Kennedy, I guess, uh, convinced the people that he wasn't going to bring the Vatican over here. He did very well. As a matter of fact, he did very well in Wisconsin, not as well as he could have. Uh, a lot of people forget that John, I didn't come down to talk politics, that John Kennedy didn't win the Wisconsin presidential primary. I always thought of it. He, uh, he carried about half the counties, and he blamed my paper for it, so uh, at least I can be objective about this thing. Maybe, uh, uh I uh, read that, in fact, I sent most of the glowing tribute to send this thing down to Dan to put in the thing. So I can't say here and somebody said, tell you that uh, somebody's telling a bunch of damn lies about my background because I wrote most of it myself. <laughs> uh, I've been uh, uh, spent
0: about half my life in the archives
1: of the State Historical Society of Wisconsin, and it's a magnificent place a marvelous collection, and it was there about 20 years ago that I, uh, let me say, rediscovered, because some knowledgeable people knew about it, rediscovered the Haskell Papers. Uh, almost everybody that knows anything about the Civil War knows Frank Haskell and Frank Haskell's Gettysburg. Uh, I'll talk about it, and I want to talk about the bibliography because that's almost as exciting as, as Haskell's career. What many people didn't know, that uh, Haskell wrote uh, several more letters. Uh, He wrote 36 more letters, some of them (coughs) 30 pages long, one of them 21 pages long, home to his brother Harrison, who was a postmaster in Portage, Wisconsin. Uh, Those letters have been in a historical society all these years, and we've just, as soon as I found them in the archives, in the manuscript section, I began a campaign to get these things published. Has it has taken years. Uh, Andrew Weaver, Professor Emeritus of, uh, of Speech at the University of Wisconsin, started out to uh, edit the letters, and just about the time he got a good start on it, he was killed in a car wreck on his way to Columbus, Ohio, to visit his son Who is now to come back to Wisconsin next this month to become the president of the University, John Weaver? And I don't envy him. He'll that task either. (laughs) In any case, after all this, we got some money from the state to start the Civil War Centennial Commission. We put a little of this money around so that when the day came when somebody could edit these letters and put it together, we could publish the rest of them. And I, I want to tell you, here is, a, here is a copy of the new book. It's just out in the end of September. This is the rest of Haskell. If you know about Haskell and Gettysburg, let me tell you that his description of, of Sharpsburg, I mean Antietam, <laughs> and his description of South Mountain are almost as gripping as the Gettysburg. His description of Rappahannock, his description of Bristow Station, his description of, Sa- of, of Bremer's Farm second World run. He was an intelligent, articulate historian on the job, on the scene. He was also a poet, as you'll see when I read some excer- excerpts from some of these letters. So uh, it's with, with a great deal of pride that I tell you tonight that I'm going to talk about this man. I'm going to tell you about some of his other letters, and I trust that I'll uh, leave it up to you, those of you, some of you, I'm certain, have Haskell's Gettysburg. I think uh, we had at one time 600, we found in the basement of the State Historical Society, 600 copies of the second edition, the 1910 edition.
0: They've all been sold out
1: though, uh, long gone, during the Civil War centennial. But the, uh, the the new Haskell Gettysburg is in this book, complete, and I'll tell you what makes it complete in a little bit. Well, I came up to Wisconsin in 1946 from West Virginia and promptly fell in love with this uh, Civil War history. And uh, as I say, I got into the archives and uh, I found these Haskell letters. I found a lot of other guys. I'll tell you, it's the greatest treasure you ever saw. Last week I was up there going through these archives and I found a letter from Percy Wyndham. I, I'm sure some of you know that wild character. He fought under Garibaldi in Italy. He was knighted the, on the field of battle by Victor Emmanuel. He came to the United States in 1861 and, looked as a colonel and a, was appointed a colonel in a New Jersey regiment. And what in the world he had written, why he wrote to the governor of Wisconsin asking for a, for an, a colonelcy, I don't know. But he did write to him. Uh, I have I've never seen the answer to this letter. I've gone through the archives and looked for it, but I've never found it. Well, after the war, you know, Wyndham was like Prince Zomzom. He was quite a character in his own right. And he, after the war, he went back to Europe. He married a wealthy widow. He went to Bombay and started a comic newspaper and was killed there when he was uh, ascending in a balloon and the balloon collapsed about 500 feet in the air and to the ground, and that was the end of Percy Wyndham. Well, this is the darndest mystery I have ever heard. He, to His Excellency Governor Randall, having been honored by your official sanction of the majority of the 13th Regiment of Wisconsin Volunteers, I would respectfully ask where and to whom I am to report for duty. With most diligent inquiry, I have been yet unable to find the location of the above organization. Very truly, your obedient servant. Percy Windham, late of the Italian Army. Well, I must tell you that apparently Percy never found the 13th because there's no record of him ever being with the Wisconsin Regiment. Well, these are the kind of things you'll find. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with a lot of these things, but let me tell you what. I, 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 I've been, I'm a newspaper man, and for the last three years I've been wandering around the streets of Madison with a gas mask on and a hard helmet covering the news. <laughs> <laughs> and in 1968, when they had the uh, uh, the uh, uh, riots in Milwaukee, I went down there to cover that. I was a war correspondent in World War II, and so I guess they thought that gave me a special qualification to get beat over the head and shot at. And I was down in Milwaukee covering uh, the riots, and... Uh, walking around at night, I, everybody, I, I had to live up the honor of being on a, a fearless, so I was walking around and all at once somebody started shooting at me out of the window. And I jumped behind a little tree and I jumped all over some guy, crouched down behind it. It turned out to be a guy from the, London, the Times of London. He was hid behind this tree and I'm telling you it wasn't very big. <laughs> and he said, this is a hell of a place that to start a war. Well, uh, As I think, uh, and you know what happens in Madison, Uh, 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 a guy came to our town about three months ago for, had been fighting uh, uh, on the uh, Israeli borders, uh, uh, an Israeli uh, diplomat. He pulled him out of the army and sent him over here to try to convince Americans Israel's side is right, and I don't think it takes much convincing. But uh, he came up to Madison, I said, well, fine, this was about... uh, uh, the 1st of September. I said, well, let's go out and have lunch down around the university. And he looked at me and he said, my God, do you mean it's safe here?
2: <laughs> well, we did walk through about 10 blocks of broken windows,
1: but uh, I guess if you live up there, you sort of get used to it. No. Let me tell you about what I'd like some of these people. You know, once I told the guy that I was standing in line with at a trashing party. Now, trash trashing party in Madison's when a bunch of people who are mad at the system go out and break windows. And they broke about $100,000 worth of window last May in Madison after the Cambodian invasion. I was standing down, down there with a guy, and he said, by God, we're going to turn this system around. He sa- I said, well, do you know anything about our history? There are people who have been trying to do it ever since it started.
0: But I said, I don't
1: have to know anything about history. I said, I've got a friend named Frank Haskell. If you just sit down and read his book, you'd get a sense of what history means in this country, the people who were devoted to it and who wrote about it. I, you know, I, I'm trying to sell the Civil War everywhere, but I never thought I'd do it in the middle of a gas, tear gas raid. My God, the next day I saw this guy on the street and he said he had bought a copy of this book. <laughs> I've never seen him since, I can't <laughs> end, the, end the story. <laughs> now, here, here's the kind of thing that you'll find in the State Archives of Wisconsin. You'll find them down to Springfield. You'll find them everywhere else in this United States. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe we don't have this anymore. To your, here's a letter to Governor Randall.
0: I, Isaac Fellows
1: of the town of Brookfield, do hereby tender my service to defend my com- country and our freedom. I am at your service at any time. I am 60 years of age, cannot see to distinguish a man over 80 rods. My health is not very good, cannot work much, but I am full of the fire of revolution. When asked by my neighbor what I can do, I can ward off the ball from a butterman, man and scrape lint to put on the wounds of others. I want to tell you that's, uh, I think, a rather uh, well written uh, little excerpt about a thing called Patriotism. Now here's another one. To the Governor of Wisconsin, uh, the head on it is camp near Stafford, Virginia, November 28, 1862. Now this is soon after the Iron Brigade had got down there, you know. Uh, If you could see this day, the hillsides in our camp covered with our drunken officers, you would know who to appoint to office and who not to. <laughs> it is very hard for us, private, we privates, it is very hard that we privates must see our commanding officers lying drunk here in sight of the enemy and think that before morning we may be called on to expose our lives under such men. One of them who has recommended you for lieutenant, to, to you for. Lieutenant Colonel could not tell a rebel flag from his own shirt tail, <laughs> at least not by its colors. And one of our doctors blows a blood root instead of his own nose. Excuse this letter. I have to run on my knapsack by light I have a life and a family and a country, and I feel that I must say something when I say all is going wrong. And he spells wrong R-O-N-G. Well, now, I'll get into the Haskell. Let me just tell you another thing. One of the great tragedies in in the life of a liberal Democrat was the the years just before the war when the the Republican Party was founded. I must say, though, uh, being a professional liberal Democrat, that the Republican Party started going downhill just about the time it got founded. It never did reach its heights after its early years, the first two. In 1868, Wisconsin elected its first Republican governor. And it was rather surprising. And they had a cannon on the Capitol Capitol Park, on the Capitol grounds in Madison, and as the returns came in from around the state, they'd fire this cannon off in celebration. Well, finally, about uh, 10 o'clock at night, when the final returns came in and they had elected a a Republican governor, some old guy named E.C. Thayer, who was a cannoneer, loaded it up with a double shot of powder, stuck some rags in her and let her go, and the damn thing blew up. Blew both his arms off. Well, he was a great hero around there for a long time after that. He got well. I found in the archives this letter, and I don't know how to how what it means. Dear sir. The times are such that it seems the duty of every man to give himself up to the service of his country. And not being able to serve as a soldier in the ranks, having lost both of my arms as you are aware of in Madison, I wish to offer my services as a traveler in the South whenever any information is to be obtained that the government desires.
0: I have over half my time been traveling in the South for
1: two years, and i am so well acquainted with the habits, customs, and mode of talking, that
0: last fall I traveled
1: there as a southerner, and no one suspected me as being from the North. If any such service is required, I should like to have a chance in. P.S. Another advantage is, no one down there knows I can write. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know whether that guy's put me on or not. <laughs> but anyway, there it is in the archives, and the thing's full of it. Well, let me tell you about Frank Haskell.
0: Frank Haskell, as I know him, was a young lawyer
1: who came to Madison, came to Wisconsin in 1848. Uh, he was born in Vermont. He taught school until uh, 17 years old. He taught in Vermont. And in 1848, he came west to Wisconsin, came to a little town outside of Madison, Columbus, where his brother Harrison lived. And uh, he stayed there two years with Harrison. Harrison was a lawyer preparing to go back to the East to enter school. Uh, he stayed there. He was a school on the school board. He was a village clerk for a year. And in 1850, he went back east and entered Dartmouth College. Uh, He spent four years at Dartmouth. He graduated. For a time, he was... he graduated with honors. Uh, For a time, he was uh, the president of his senior class. Uh, He then came back to Wisconsin. He came back in 1854 and opened a law office in the city of Madison. With a guy named Orton and a guy named Atwood, Atwood Orton, Atwood, and Orton. Uh, he was young, a handsome guy. Uh, I really have sort of fallen in love with the man over the years. I've spent so much time with him. But I'd have to be objective to say, I'd be objective enough to tell you that the guy must have been in love with himself. If you read his letters, if you read Gettysburg, Uh, you will get the uncomfortable suspicion that many other historians have and a few generals that Haskell thinks he won the battle by himself. Uh, And he says so in Haskell's Gettysburg, not in so many words. Uh, Alexander, you know, the Pennsylvanian, uh, never got over the slight that he gave him. Uh, uh, But this is the kind, and all through these letters, here's this guy, but he's, he's intelligent, he's articulate, he cites he he cites he writes in Latin he writes in Greek he cites Cappers he cites Scipio he cites all of the poets uh, so uh, this was just a little frontier boy you know it came out to Wisconsin to teach those badger to to rip the natives. He was in the Governor's there were twenty. they set up a social organization called the Governor's Grays uh, the, gov- the regiment he was in, was uh, had 29 lawyers, and let me say one thing about them, I know there are no lawyers in this group.
2: <laughs>
1: when uh, war started, the Governor's Grays uh, 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 volunteered for service and all of the lawyers in the group resigned,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> including Haskell, I might add. <laughs> Haskell stood around, Atwood uh, stayed around, and the, the early regiments trained in a Camp Randall where the football stadium is in Madison now. And Haskell was finally given a commission as a first lieutenant in the 6th Wisconsin. The 6th Wisconsin, a rather notorious uh, and famous uh, uh, regiment, it was part of the Iron Brigade. Uh, and uh, Rufus Dawes, a little, an old farm boy from up in Juneau County, who wrote, later wrote one of the great, great regimental histories of, of the Civil War, service with the 6th Wisconsin, was a commanding officer. Well, they wandered around, and uh, Haskell, because he had been a real martinet in this governor's grace, he had these guys marching up and down around the Capitol Square when the war wasn't going on, so he decided he was going to live up to his, to his, or at least be his training, so he had these guys marching all over Madison. And some of the guys didn't like him, but Rufus Dawes said it put a little spark into the into the sixth. Well then they went down they went down south. Uh, their first battle, the first time the the Iron Brigade, it wasn't called the Iron Brigade yet. The second, sixth, and seventh Wisconsin and nineteenth Indiana under Meredith. They were blooded at Second Manassas or Bronner's Farm. The Iron Brigade's to get another regiment later on, as you know. The Twenty-first Michigan, but it hadn't got it yet. I'm sorry, Twenty-fourth Michigan. (laughs) Uh, They hadn't got it yet, but this, and they hadn't even got their name yet. This uh, was—they were called the Black Hats. Well, they really got a, a, a baptism of fire at Warner's Farm, <coughs> as you know. And if I can find, go through here just a minute, he, here's the first letter he writes home from the battlefield. It's de- de- headed Centerville, Virginia, August 31st, 1862. Dear Brother and Sister, he writes all of these letters to his brother Harrison, who's a postmaster now at Portage, or then, even the, even the, the Gettysburg letter, as you know, was sent, was sent to his brother. It didn't have a letter form, it was sort of like an essay. There's been a good deal of discussion about, and controversy about, just when the letter got back to Wisconsin. And I think we finally saw that, and we'll talk, I'll talk about that tonight. It was thought earlier, among the nuts that uh, spend all the time doing this, and we're all, all of us are, But he sent this letter back by mail to his brother Harrison, 76 pages long, 42,000 words, and Harrison took it down to the Wisconsin State Register in Portage and asked a guy named Andrew Turner, who was the father of Frederick Jackson Turner, the great frontier historian, if he would publish this serially. Turner agreed to do it, and it was published first serially in the Portage Register. Now, well, this story went around, I guess, for 75 years. We now know that this didn't really happen. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and it gets explained here. Uh, he carried this thing around with him, and he says in one of these letters, uh, as late as October after Gettysburg, uh, this was, the letter's too heavy to mail, so I'll have to get it to him some other way. Dear brother and sister, I've been in a battle almost all the time for the last ten days, in a fearfully bloody, bloody one near Gainesville, Virginia, August the 28th, wherein out of 1,800 men engaged in Gibbon's, John Gibbon's brigade, 800 were killed or wounded. And in the great battle of the old Bull Run Field, August 30th, when our brigade suffered, in 1,000 engaged not over 150 killed or wounded but I have not a touch of any bullet hole or shell in me. I cannot give you particulars to write more now. The terrible weariness of long fight is upon me. Now he's near Sharpsburg. The letters head on the letters, near Sharpsburg, Maryland, September 19th. Dear brother, I am still well and unhurt. The brigade was in a great battle under McClellan at South Mountain on the 14th, and covered itself with glory. But we licked them. We chased the butternut-colored snakes and killed them by the hundreds. Then we were in a fearful battle at this place on the 17th. It was an enormous battle, a great tumbling together of all heaven and earth. The slaughter on both sides was enormous. McClellan again was victorious. I had one of my horses shot out from under me in this battle by a bullet. Then he goes on, as he'll do, all through the war, he, he, he writes a little short, maybe a little note, to let him know that he's alive, and then he'll sit down when he has some time, and he, he'll write a rather full account of the battle. Uh, it, I'm not going to... You, you you can get the book, you can read it. You, those of you who know, who know uh, Gettysburg know what a magnificent writer he is, but let me read you an excerpt now. We're after South Mountain, we're after Antietam, he is describing to his brother Harrison the first time the Iron Brigade was under fire at Droner's Farm, August 28th. You know, this was William Tolliver, Stonewall Jackson's brigade they were fighting there. These were men who were tough as hell. Here was a young outfit, never been under fire before, and here's what happened. Or here's what he says what happened, and this happened that way. As the sun was going down upon this present August day, their lines were formed, and they stood face to face with three times their numbers, nowhere a hundred yards distance, and in some places no more than twenty. And then for nearly an hour and a half, and until darkness came upon the earth, the little hill where only they stood was a roaring hell of fire, retiring never an inch with no confusion, now standing up, now flat upon the earth, now surging backwards or forwards to get advantage of ground, the devoted 1800 blazed with fire. Line after line of the rebels confronted them and were swept away or broke in confu- confusion. Fresh regiments would again appear upon the ground, upon the ground the d- their discomfited ranks had left, and with a cheer would rush on for a charge upon the Black Hats. That's the Iron Brigade. But their rebel cheer was drowned out and run three times louder by the badger boys, and their lines met the fate of their predecessors. As the daylight came on the next morning, none of us could look upon their thin ranks, our thin ranks, so full the night before, now so shattered, without tears. And the faces of those brave boys in the morning as the morning sun disclosed them. No pen can describe. The men were cheerful, quiet, orderly. The dust and blackness of battle was upon their clothes and in their hair and on their skin. But you saw none of these. You only saw their eyes and the shadows of the light of battle and the furrows piled upon the cheeks that were smooth the day before. And now not half filled up. I could not look upon them without tears and could have hugged the necks of all of them. Let me tell you, gentlemen, you've all read Civil War history. I don't think you've ever read any more graphic description of battle than this and what it does to a man. You saw none of these. You saw only their eyes and the shadow of the light of battle. Well, here he goes. You know, this poor guy, I, there's a million stories I could tell you about him. You know, talk about politics. Talk about political generals or political colonels. This guy was a Republican. He ran for mayor of Madison, in 1858, as a Republican, and and, and, and got beat. Uh, the governor won, but he got beat. And they never forgot this. And now all the Republican governors in Wisconsin had, and every time it came a chance to, Promote Haskell, he couldn't get promoted. He stayed until after Gettysburg. He stayed until February 9, 1864, as a first lieutenant. In 1864, a, a, a Republican governor finally woke up, a guy named Lewis, who knew him, and gave him a colonelcy in the 36th Wisconsin. And after all these years, well, you know, this happened everywhere. You talk about political generals, I'm talking about political colonels. Well, he wandered around. He stayed with Gibbon. He fought up and down. He went to South Mountain. He went all these places. He wrote about them. His brother kept these letters. Uh, after the war, Harrison Haskell died about 1871. Harrison's son, Harvey, went to Pennsylvania. He took some of the letters with him, but these letters were deposited in the State Historical Society or through the instrumentality of Mr. Er, of Andrew Turner, were sent to the archives of the State Historical Society and stayed there. Now, all of you know, well, no, all of you don't know. Some of you don't know a damn thing about it. What am I, all of you know? <laughs> One of the great tragic mysteries of this business was what happened to the manuscript of Haskell's Gettysburg. We had 36 letters. Here's, here's copies of them. I got them here in this, in this uh, satchel you guys handed me last year for 200 bucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had 36 of these letters, but no Haskell's Gettysburg. And for years I looked for this thing. I went through the archives, I went through everything. I started going up the Portage in a Portage Historical Society was put in a house uh, that Zona Gale had donated to the town. And I went up there and they gave me permission to plow through the attic. And I plowed through the attic for one weekend, looking through every boxes and manuscripts and letters for this thing. And I went up to an old man's, uh, another grand old place up there where Frederick Jackson Turner's home, pecked on the door and went in. They let me go up in the attic and I wandered around up there for half a day. and never could find it. In 1959, I discovered that, started putting some flesh and blood on this Haskell family, I discovered this son Harvey had moved to Pennsylvania. And I discovered in writing to the Pennsylvania Historical Museum and Commission that they had some Haskell letters. I wrote and asked them if they'd set somebody looking in their archives and if they couldn't find a long manuscript a description of the Battle of Gettysburg. By Jesus, in about a month ago, I got a letter back from says, yes, we found it. Nobody that I know of until this time had ever known what had happened to it. Here it was and all, all the Haskell up and including uh, Bruce Canton's nineteen fifty nine edition was based on an edition of Haskell that had been made In uh, 1881, by Haskell's son in Pennsylvania, and then in 1898, Dartmouth College wanted to print a history of the class of 1854, and they got a copy of the uh, Harvey Haskell uh, pamphlet printed in 1881, and they published it from that. And Catton used, and the Wisconsin Historical Commission, in 1908 and 1910, published two editions of it. Uh, And it wasn't until 1959, when they dug this one up, that they could compare this with the original. Uh, Thank heavens, they're they're almost identical. There are some changes, there are some little changes. Uh, The early editions cut out all the criticism of Dan Sickle. Uh, Sickle was uh, still alive. In 1898, and uh, nobody wanted to get mad at him. And uh, the Pennsylvanians, as long as it was just a little pamphlet published by the uh, uh, by Harvey Haskell and wandering around among his relatives, didn't care whether he started the Philadelphians on the third day uh, at the at the at the great moment of crisis uh, at Gettysburg. So they didn't mind that. But when the Massachusetts uh, loyal uh, uh, Commandery of the loyal legion uh, republished the Dartmouth College edition of this thing, and it got a little circulation, they got a little mad. And they started writing letters about it, and they demanded retractions, as some of you know, and they started calling him the Wellington of Gettysburg, and the Napoleon of uh, the Napoleon of, of Gettysburg. And, uh, but these things are all in the future, yep. Haskell's still down here writing these marvelous letters home. I wanted to get that other thing out of the way because my talk really is all around Haskell's Gettysburg. I'm not gonna talk much specifically about that, but I might I want to read one th- how much time have I got? Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> I won't be here three hours for Christ's sake. I might be here two ah. <laughs> I won't Ralph, Ralph made me promise to keep us down thirty minutes and I got seven more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But let me, let me look here now. Here we are at South Mountain. Just let me read this uh, little incident. He's running all over there, you know, and... Uh, uh, he's gone across the field and a uh, bullet hit his horse. I dismounted, patted his, pat, patted his neck to take leave of the, the faithful creature. I started and he whinnied after me and tried to follow. I went to him and again stroked his neck and petted him. He seemed to know as much as a man. I again started to leave him. He again tried to follow. But his poor legs could carry him no more. He whinnied for me feebly and fell and was dead in a minute. I could not help a tear for him. Captain Buscelli of the 6th Wisconsin had a pet Newfoundland dog that he had raised and which was always with him, master and dog both fell dead together upon the field, shot with bullets. I goes down south, he's down to Falmouth again, or down there again, second, uh, second Fredericksburg, uh, you know, wandering around down there. Here's, a, here's an excerpt from a letter he wrote dated April the 21st, 1863. Old time rolls on. Today we are where we were a year ago.
0: I am, Only then I was sick,
1: now I am well. The flame of the peach tree reddens the land, and the cherry buds hint at white. The air is soft and not a taint of ice in it. Spring and life and health are with us, but more of all of these. We've had them off before. They are all good, but I want something more. A great, terrible, thundering battle, not for the fight, but for victory. Not for fame, but for peace. This is why I think this man is really a poet. Now they're going to cross the Rappahannock River. You know, they're going to go back and recapture Fredericksburg. Here's a description from a letter dated August of 23rd. The work of the making of bridge commenced. The handling of the boats and timber made ominous sounds. This is in the night. In the still air. The men pushing pushed the first boats into the water. The general and the staff were upon the bank near the workmen, watching the progress of matters. Not a sound came from the somber town, not a twinkle of light. When all at once a small stream of flaky fire, a sharp report, then the hiss of a bullet started the senses. Then the volley of like appearance and from the same course spattered in amongst us across across the river. These bullets came close to one and unexpectedly, or rather startled, the night. The mules brayed and ran. The mules' men sprang together in sudden fright, but in a moment all was order again, and our guns hurling in a couple of shells upon the spot whence the fire came, which went over hissing and crashed with a great roar among the buildings. Silence followed, and the work went on.
0: Here's a letter dated near Falmouth, May the 12th,
1: 1863. When I found this letter in the archives, halfway down it, pasted over about two lines, very firm pasted over, such a way you couldn't read it
0: by holding it up to light.
1: Uh, two pieces of paper. We took them down to the... Uh, Newspaper section, and where they have a steam room to steam up these old linen newspapers and smooth them out. And they steamed this off. Now, here's what the letter said without with the thing on top of it. Uh, he's talking about the war, he's talking about the, what lousy General's Hooker he is. And the only guy who really ever has much, uh, 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 much of, uh, use for at all was Meade. Uh, Dan Sickles is a major general. You know, he didn't like Dan Sickles when Dan Sickles got out in front of Gettysburg. He was damn sure that this guy was the biggest creep that ever lived. Dan Sickles is a major general and commands a corps in this army. So then I steamed it off, and this is what it said. Was he ever a soldier? Was he ever a man? Did he not have criminal intercourse with, a, with the mother of his wife for years before his marriage? Did he not shoot key many months before after the knowledge of the crimes of his wife and then take that wife back to his bed? So the men sing in his hearing, sing in the air of a Negro song, Sickles kill the man, sickles kill the man. What was it for, I vow, ba? Ba. Well, I can just see some of the little librarian lady back in the 1890s
2: <laughs> pasting that over there. And I'll tell you,
1: but in this edition of Haskell that's in there without the paste over it. He got to see Lincoln. He didn't think much of Lincoln. He didn't take much of... He didn't like Lincoln because he thought Lincoln was interfering with the war. Uh, here's a letter written from Westminster, Maryland. July the 5th, 1863, July the 5th, 1863, I can write you but a hasty note now, but must say that I am unharmed after the terrific battles of the 2nd and 3rd of July at Gettysburg. I cannot go into particulars. The battle has been desperate. You need not fear the results, but thank God for it. Uh, He mentions that he was bruised there, that Gibbons was wounded, severely wounded, in his left shoulder. Uh, You know he was Gibbons' aide de camp. Uh, And then, on July 13th, he says, I can write but a line, for we are actually working all the time and tired to death. And then he says down in the letter, I want to describe to you sometimes, I can't at present, the Great Battle of Gettysburg. Antietam was but a skirmish in comparison. Here's a letter from Harper's Ferry, July the 17th. He says, We will probably cross into Virginia tomorrow, and then God only knows the rest. The purpose is to destroy the rebel army. The details of this destruction are not arranged. Look at the politicians at Washington for all these matters. They can fix it. Shoemakers, quacks, and the like know these things. Generals in the fields do not. I'm getting along well and feel all right. I must say that I was rather glad that the rebel got into Virginia without a fight, for we were so tired that it seemed very hard to again fight so soon after Gettysburg. But now long marches and fatigues innumerable are again before us. So here we are on July 17th. Haskell's Gettysburg, the essay that he wrote to his brother, is dated July 16th. So he actually started it the day before. Here's a letter of July 27th near Warrington Junction. I wish I had time to describe to you today the Battle of Gettysburg. I am full of it, was in it, saw it, and then had on me the sacred rage of battle as never before. No description can do it approximate justice. For pen and canvas are poor for, for that great epic. Still, sometime, it will take many pages, and I shall not soon forget what I saw. I shall write about it to you. I may say here, it may not be vanity to mention it to you, but I personally have received universal commendation for my part in the, in the battle. Now, here we are near Culpeper Courthouse on October the 9th, and he says, there's nothing to do here. We can have little to do but read, for we cannot get or carry the books. Society comprised of all men of the army and no women is not as attractive as you may find in civil life. And so we drag along the dull hours. But we know now that all the time, Haskell sometimes, when he gets a minute, He's writing about Gettysburg. And on October the 31st, he mentions in a letter, even if you should not read all of this letter, I wish you to keep it and not scold about it. This is a 23rd, 21-page description of the Battle of Bristow Station. And this is the end of it. When I write the history of the war, I shall want it. I cannot rely upon the Bosch of the newspapers. Uh, the Bosch of the newspapers. I shouldn't have read that. I wish you you had my account of Gettysburg, but it is too voluminous to send by mail, and I fear it would be lost. Well, let me tell you one of the strangest quirks of all about our friend Haskell. He was invited with John Gibbons as an honor to go back to Gettysburg in November for the dedication. He went back there and he wrote a letter to his brother from November the 20th from LaPierre House in Philadelphia, in which he describes what happened there. He wandered all over the battlefield, saw the old sites, everything else. Uh, and here's the strangest sentence in all of his correspondence We had little interest in the ceremonies and I shall not attempt to describe them. Haskell, the greatest chronicler of the Battle of Gettysburg, didn't even listen to Lincoln's speech. Now Gibbons, a little later, got a little sensitive about this and said, well, he did hear it. But that sort of sur- I think that's after the fact. You may think it strange in my notions in this matter, Haskell wrote his brother, but I will tell you what they are. Of course, as our brave men who fell at Gettysburg were buried hastily in all parts of the fields, many of them where they fell, without this collection of bones, the places of their graves would soon be unknown and the
0: plows would have obliterated
1: them. But what's so appropriate for the soldier's rest as a spot where he died nobly fighting the enemies of the country? In other words, he didn't care about that cemetery up there where they had all these unknown bones gathered up in little boxes that thinking was dedicating that day, so he just stayed away from it. Uh, and he says, in graves, if designated at all, is likely to be wrong as right. But read the newspapers, he said. Everybody says this is splendid, this making of a soldier's cemetery, and I suppose it is. Well, February the 9th, 1864,
0: Governor Lewis of Wisconsin finally rewarded this man.
1: I, in, 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 in the archives are letters of recommendation from Gibbons, a wonderful letter of recommendation from George Meade, uh, supporting this guy's bid for a colonelcy. So he gets a colonelcy. He's finally given a colonelcy. He's made to, uh, in charge of commanding officer of the 36th Wisconsin. They wander out of there just about as fast as they can get their clothes on, Go back down 10th. They're down there by May 10th. They join the army uh, under Hancock. And Gibbons is there. Gibbons has got a corps and uh, 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 not a corps, a brigade. And uh, here Haskell winds up with his old commander as a colonel. And Gibbons said later he he would love to, he he had planned to make him a a, a brigadier. Well, Cold Harbor happened. Grant, you know, Grant's frontal assault on Lee's entrenchments at Cold Harbor. Here's Frank Haskell in his own right for the first time in the war uh, on June the 3rd, 1864. Six o'clock in the morning, commanding officer 36th, uh, of the 36th of, of the outfit division killed, and Haskell's put in charge. He leads his men, they were green troops from Wisconsin, never before been in battle. Uh, they had uh, they'd been in reserve, it's Pennsylvania. He leads them in battle, but because they were green troops, he didn't stay 30 paces behind them. He, went, he led, uh, led them into battle. Within 15 minutes, of he was shot in the temple and killed. Well, this was Cold Harbor. This was the end of him. They brought him back to Wisconsin. They had a public service ceremony in Madison. They took him up to Silver Lake Cemetery in Portage, and he's buried up there uh, in a family grave plot. Uh, I don't know if, this, except for you people and a few nuts in Wisconsin, nobody really knows much about Haskell. Uh, maybe this. Maybe this will do something for him. Uh, but to most of us who, who know anything about the war, this guy will live as long as, as as any account of the battle of Gettysburg lives. And I think you'll find uh, when you read these letters that some of these letters are just as beautiful, just as magnificent, just as compelling as a great manuscript description of the Battle of Gettysburg. Thank you very much.
0: John, as is customary, do we have any questions or comments from our audience? Jerry?
1: John, I've never really been clear at reading this stuff, but I wonder whether you found the answer. Did he really have an intention of writing this as a a history after the book? Uh, Is that the only reason he wrote such long? It is almost... we We now think almost without doubt that... The, the, the description of Gettysburg was written as an essay to be a part of a history of the war. The, he says in at the end of his letter, the 21-page letter on Bristow Station, as I read to you, save this for when I do a history of the war. His account of the Battle of South Mountain is long, and he indicates there, he, he tells his brother to save him. So that it now appears that he carried this with him until he went home Gibbons, you know, was was, inv- inv- uh, was sent to a hospital, and then was put on recruit duty in Cleveland for a while. And Haskell was allowed to come back to Wisconsin in October. Uh, he then, obviously, we don't know this, but brought the manuscript back to his brother. And uh, uh, the Portage Register, as you know, n- we now know, never published the thing at all. Uh, 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 Turner thought it was too long to publish in a weekly paper, so the original story that had started out serially in the Wisconsin paper is without foundation. Obviously, obvious, by the time he got to Gettysburg, he was in great great form as a writer. Yes, Years ago, when I first heard about Haskell,
2: I, I went out
1: and a book. It turned out to be the one of the folks from South Carolina. I don't even remember the spelling of it. Is there any connection between those families at all? Not that I know of, not at all. His people were all from Vermont. Uh, I know the book you're talking about. The
2: smell is yeah. Yeah. was rare.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the only Haskell's I know now are in in Pennsylvania and Vermont. Is this the complete output of his letters on the war in this book you're talking about? Uh, yes. With, the, with some minor. Minor letters they've left out. Letters that don't have any. uh, Personal letters. Uh, I have them all. I mean copies of them. But they left some of them out of the book. Frank Byrne, who edited this thing after Andrew Weaver died, is a professor of history at Kent State University with a Ph.D. from Bill Heseltine in in Wisconsin. And he's a fellow, some of you know, he did a story on Neil Dow, a book on Neil Dow. Uh, the you know the abolitionist. If I understand correctly, Brother <coughs> Hunter, you, you, you read something here. Was it your words that made this expression or
2: was it Haskell's?
1: That uh, sharp word was just a skirmish compared to Gettysburg. That was Haskell's letter. Uh, Haskell's words. He, so much that he writes, even though it's not as a military historian, uh, it seems quite authentic all the way through. But if he made that remark, uh, that he was full of hops at that time because he didn't see anything of the battle on July 1, and he saw hardly any of it on July 2, and the third day of Gettysburg doesn't even start to compare with Sharpsburg. And if he was at Sharpsburg, he didn't see very much of something. Well, Haskell was a, a, a modest man in some ways. In some ways, he liked to brag. But let me say about as you know, Lloyd, from his <coughs> Gettysburg, he does not describe the first day. He, he it's written in in a, not in first hand. You know, it's it's he's relating what happened without having seen it. Uh, he was at at Anta- Sharpsburg and and in, in the middle of it, uh, as you know. And uh, his letter, description of the Battle of Shor- Antietam, is just marvelous, just marvelous, just beautiful. Uh, he had a sense of, of, he had to make a judgment, and he made a judgment that, uh, that Gettysburg was worse. I guess what happened in the end, as you know, at the, at the, at the crisis, the great crisis and Pickett's Charge, and, and when the Pennsylvanians started to fall back, and Haskell steadied him up, and even, even the commanding general says that he did. Uh, I guess in this great moment in Haskell's life, he had to think this was the greatest battle of all. Sure. Well, even the three days at Gettysburg don't
0: make such
1: Well, he, he did a very good job. He wandered all over all over uh, all over Antietam looking for a commanding officer and couldn't find him. Uh, he spent a lot of, he, he got a horse shot out from under him at Antietam, and uh, his description of the battle was beautiful. Uh, yes, yeah, I did he comment at all about the release of the Emancipation Proclamation following Antietam? No, not 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 a word in any of his letters. Uh, Haskell was like everybody else. Uh, governor Solomon of Wisconsin, who uh, ascended to the throne after Governor Harvey <laughs> stepped off of a ship down at Pittsburgh Landing, uh, stepped down between two ships and never came up again. And uh, this guy Solomon, who was an immig- immigrant from, from Germany, was governor, and uh, he didn't think much of Haskell anyway because he's a New Englander. And Haskell in one called him a damn Hebrew. <laughs> Uh, he wasn't a Hebrew, but I guess Haskell had all of the, uh, the goddamn prejudices that everybody's heir to. I don't like to get up again. That not, has nothing to do with your, not germane to this subject at all. But uh, one of our members wants to know what
0: you're going on the battlefield tour next
1: April and
0: May. And if
1: so, are you going to get on your belly and take
2: pictures of <laughs> <the animal? laughs>